Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bouts media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Alan Rickman saying yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. And this week, we celebrate Christmas in July with Die Hard. Oh, literally. Before, yeah. Before we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the 80s, remember you can help us on Mortify the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for a monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr, at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. Why did we watch Die Hard? I don't actually know. <laughs> How did this end up on our list? I, yeah, so we have a big master list for the podcast, and, you know, occasionally I'll just, like, throw stuff on there. And I was like, you know, I've never seen Die Hard. I don't think Layla's ever seen Die Hard. We might as well just do it, because sometimes sometimes it's just like we need we need something to mix it up, you know? We, we, we do a lot of media from the last 20 years, but, like, seeing something from 1988 really did, you know, kind of put the put, a, put an interesting perspective on this podcast, because, like, we very rarely do stuff that is older than, than like, you know, the 2000s, I feel. Um, so, yeah, this was, like, a completely different perspective um, for for me. Like, I don't, I don't know what the oldest thing we've watched for this podcast is, but, like, this is probably up there. Um, and I think it was – I think it was a great experience, honestly. Uh, when was The Secret of Nim released? Because I feel like that's Ooh, the that competitor. I want to say 81 Secret of N-I-M-H. Um, 82. Yeah, so, yeah, I think Secret of Nim is probably the oldest thing that we've watched this is up there though yeah yeah but yeah i mean how, you know up top how'd you feel about die hard i really fucking like die hard it's it's a classic for a reason it's a good i want to know okay real talk though so the whole time we were watching die hard or i was watching die hard i could not get over the fact that i think if it was released today it would pass muster so here's the thing like i, I think so too but, like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson released a movie called Skyscraper in 2018, um, which is, like, a very similar premise. Um, and it didn't – and it underperformed. But I, I honestly think it's probably – I've never seen Skyscraper. My assumption is that it's just not – it's just not as good as Die Hard um, because, like, I, I think it's, I think it's you know, cribbing, you know, the same kind of, like – thrills and stunts and and premise but like i just think that like this this film does a lot of like action sequence stuff in a really exciting way that i don't think Dwayne's pride would allow him to do i mean i have great news for you about the function of this podcast we could just watch skyscraper we could i don't know we'll see i think Dwayne johnson is best when when he is um played alongside other people that That's are fair. that are talented when he's the leading man i think i think he leaves something to be desired but, and this um, this is very like bruce willis is acting out against himself for like a good portion of this movie right he's he'll like be by himself and then do an action sequence there's not a ton for him to do um you know there's like the walkie-talkie stuff but he's right. not like face to face with another actor for a good chunk of it um and the other thing is like you know, we talk a lot about diversity and casting and stuff, and there were, like, black actors in lead roles. Holly has a personality. I was like, I think this would do completely fine in 2020. Like, there's a couple of things you could nudge to be less dated, but otherwise, like, it's sure. pretty, pretty solid. And it just made me mad. It made me Google when Reagan's presidency took place, because truly <laughs> that was just a cursed point in american history and wouldn't you know reagan's presidency ended a year after die hard came out and then something mm -hmm. bad happened and you and my notes wrote newt gingrich <laughs> listen i think reagan had poisoned the well but i think gingrich definitely I, I i don't know i saw a tumblr post about uh focus on the family so maybe that's why i'm thinking about it but i feel like the evangelical like you know viper really started getting its steam going in the 80s and like by the 90s had really sunk its fangs into uh american life so some mix eh. of that like evangelical turn in the aids crisis and reaganomics like really mm -hmm. really fucked the direction of this country in a way that we have yet to recover from <laughs> Yes, but uh, just like every other media property from our current era, let's take a look back at the 80s and uh, talk about the th things that were great back then, uh, including Die Hard. Make action um, flicks great again. Yes. So, what happens in Die Hard, Layla? Well, we start with John McClane. Mm -hmm. um, this is the first time I've ever seen um, Bruce Willis with hair. <laughs> I 
before this movie could not have picked Bruce Willis out from a lineup. Really? You've never seen a Bruce Willis film? I am just not familiar with his oeuvre. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like he was in, let me see, he was in Armageddon, right, Bruce Willis? have never seen Armageddon. Me neither, but, like, I got some Armageddon toys when I was a kid for some reason. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, which which uh, I, I played with a lot because there was, like, a big, like, thing like with a big drill arm which was sick um man they made toys real good in 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 the early 2000s um but um yeah like his um filmography um i'm just trying to figure out because like i feel like i saw him in a lot of a lot of like weird action flicks um well apparently before die hard he was like a tv actor that was just like a male romantic lead and then that's oh, why. Really? And then Die Hard was like his first big action thing, and he crushed yeah. it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one hundred percent. He was in an Ocean's movie as himself, which is very funny. <laughs> Career um, fucking goal. Yeah, uh, he was in Over the Hedge, I guess. Fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess he. Yeah, he's Looper. Probably is 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 you know one of the bigger ones that our audience has probably seen. Um, Lego Movie. <laughs> sure. i have seen lego movie one which is fucking delightful yeah that's weird i feel like bruce willis is such a big action star but i actually haven't seen very many of his films um well anyway i i think he's pretty cool um and um you know unfortunately he was recently he recently came out and said that he has dementia um he, he's been living with dementia for a while so um you know i you know feel bad about about that turn his health has, has taken but um you know he seems like he was like a pretty pretty big staple of of like that you know 80s to or like late 80s to like mid 2000s action so um you know shout outs to bruce uh, anyway he's playing john mcclain here um he's going to a party in la he's a new york city cop uh but he's got some trouble with with the missus uh she's gone out to work for the nakatomi corporation here in los angeles uh you know things are different here in california (laughs) this this movie has such a weird like we I, i in our notes it seems like we have different opinions on these movies politics and we'll talk about that but like i truly think this is like a very conservative film uh, <laughs> it's something I do find it very funny that it, it has that like LA New York rivalry because there is a mm-hmm. moment where John like walks into the party and some drunk guy like pats him on the, the shoulder and like gives him a kiss on the cheek mm-hmm. and John McClane because you have to be homophobic obviously like, right staple right. this is the 80s you're required to be yeah absolutely uh, John, McC- John McClane just looks at the guy kind of laughs and goes ha! California <laughs> as if it's yeah. the weirdest <laughs> shit as if like <laughs> like a large portion of the global population doesn't greet each other with a kiss you know what i mean yeah it's very funny but whatever um anyway it's christmas eve and his wife just became the director of operations or something here at the nakatomi corporation um girl boss and it's yeah i mean um he's not it's 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 not clear i mean at, at the beginning you know it's it's very interesting he keeps looking at other women which like suggests that he sucks <laughs> um, to us i feel like that was expected behavior in the 80s interesting the bar is low sure I, I i mean like yeah maybe that's true but like at least here it may, it suggests like oh maybe he cheated on her like maybe that's what they're they're you know their their marital problems were stemming from and like one thing i like about this movie is that the first 17 minutes there is no hint at any point that alan brickman's gonna come through the door with a gun <laughs> it's it's just like yeah I'm, I'm a dude who who has some problems with his wife um anyway he's like flying he's on this plane he gets off the plane a guy t- talks to him about how you need to clench your make your toes into a fist uh to get rid of like plane fear or something I don't. I don't does, know. Does that pay off? I feel like it might pay off during the glass walking across Not glass. Not the glass thing. It pays off when he's like, quote unquote, washing himself up, um, like during the party, and he's sitting there like waiting for Holly to get back to the room after right. she got uh, called out to talk to Joe. Okay. Um, and he's sitting there. And he's just like, well, what do you know? Okay, that's a wild thing. Oh, that, that's why he takes his shoes and socks off. Yes. Okay. That's how we get it. We get, we get, that's um, how we listen, get... listeners, there's a lot of feet in this movie. Bruce Willis's fucking, uh, wiki feet must be just populated from this movie alone. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's disastrous. Um, but yeah, basically, um, you know, she's moved out here with their kids, by the way. They live in Los Angeles, too, um, for the last six months. So he's got a big old stuffed bear that he took as his carry-on. He's, uh, you know, he, he meets a limo driver named Argyle, who is like a young man who has also never driven a limo before, which is very funny. Who spends and- the movie partying with that bear? It's awesome. Argyle is my favorite character in this movie. Agree, one hundred thousand percent. Maybe Alan Rickman who <laughs> kicks ass, but um, yeah, he he's just like he's like so Argyle. What do I do? I've never done this before. And Argyle's like ah, I've never driven a living before. I guess we'll figure it out. Uh, and like they they go to this this headquarters and he's just like you know talking to him and he's just like so uh, looks seems like your marriage sucks, huh, man? <laughs> and he's like you're very perceptive, Argyle. And Argyle immediately picks on the fact that like he, that uh, you know McLean assumed that she his wife uh holly holly gennaro um would would you know burn out and come back to new york um but like she hasn't which is why he's coming here and and you know argyle just straight up says that he's like you're very quick argyle <laughs> thanks for pointing that out i also think it's just such a good character moment that uh bruce willis does not sit in the back of the limo as you are supposed to he puts the bear in the back of the limo and goes and sits in front with argyle <laughs> That's really funny. That's such a good point. But yeah, one hundred percent. And like, maybe that's that's a that's a you know filmmaking thing to get them both in the same well, shot. But also, so like, many ways to frame it to get them both in the same shot, but like have that power distance between them. But there is like he goes and sits the front. That's an intentional. Oh no, yeah, because yeah, I think that's a good way to, to signal to the audience like this guy is, is the common man, right? I think a lot of this movie is about like the power of you know the average Joe. Um, uh, as long as they have a gun, um, but like, um, as long as they yeah. have a machine gun, ho ho ho! Oh God, we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, you know, he he gets dropped off at this big, you know, forty-story building. I don't actually know what the Nakatomi Corporation does. I think they they sell like VCRs and shit. Um, it's very much like um, like Sony is kind of what I'm thinking of. Like right. you know how Sony, like we, you and I think of Sony as video games because of the fact that we play video games. Um, but like. Sony used to like you know really be all about like you know like VCRs and like electronics. Like, I was gonna say I my, believe my this is gonna age me. My primary association with Sony has lasted twenty years, and it's Walkmans. Right, exactly. That's that's one hundred percent right. You know, just just because you know, I personally, my first thing introduction to sony was like crash bandicoot but like also like you know i had a vc a sony vcr growing up Same. like so so like that's that's probably what the nakatomi corporation does um they have this wild line that's just like we you know we couldn't beat you at pearl harbor so we started beating you with like vcrs <laughs> and it's just like oh wow this really was made in the 80s huh just i got that bludgeoned me to the temple which like uh, I, I I want like listen, do I think that is a racist thing to say? Like kind of yeah, um, but like I do very much think that was like the the common prevailing feeling at the time in America, which is like this was you know this is where the cyberpunk whole genre comes out of like you know the rise of, of you know Japanese Japan as an economic power right, which like is, is reflected in this like you know fear of of the you know these, these Japanese corporations you know being very successful. Um, Right. And the fact of the matter is, like, they're, they're even, you know, I was just stunned by, like, how how time passes, I guess. Because, like, you know, this this film is taking place in 1988. Um, you know, at one point, they, they referenced the fact that the the guy who runs this place, um, what's his name, Joe Takagi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about the fact that he was interned at Manzanar. Um, and I was just like, and that's just like a thing that goes without mention. But I was like, oh, my God, yeah. You know, this would have been a thing. Like, there would have been, like, people who, you know, famously you know george george takei right and also interned at manzanar you know famous actor so like um you know obviously there's still people who who you know were living through internment that are they're still around but like it would have been really fresh back then um yeah uh yeah the orientalism is um the casual orientalism is right really well alive and well right you know listen there's a lot of casual bad shit in here um but like you know that is unfortunately a product product of the times. Uh, anyway, um, what what happens with, uh, with with Holly? Can you walk us through? You know when when he goes up to the the party and his, his interactions with Holly. So he sees Holly. I actually really like the tension between Bruce Willis and Holly. Uh, yeah. 
you know, they see each other. They, like, clearly are still, like, harboring. Like, they're married, right? They have feelings for each other. Clearly, like, something's going on there. And so Holly's like, hey, do you want to come, like, wash up? I have this, like, private office. And she goes and takes him up there. And this is... (laughs) I love the contrivances that this movie goes through to get Bruce Willis increasingly more naked. Mm -hmm. Um, So here we have him lose his upper layers. He is now in a tank top. As you mentioned, uh, he also takes his socks and shoes off to do the, the feet fist thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like washing up and, and getting ready to like rejoin the party. And him and Holly have this argument that it's clear they've had like a hundred times before about mm-hmm. the quote unquote, the shape of their marriage, right? Like the things that she knows he expects her to do and the things that he expects her to do. But the, the really neat thing about the characterization of John McClane is at the moment Holly gets pissed at him and then her boss calls her out to go like meet with him for a second, mm-hmm. which is what separates them and allows John McClane to run around Nakatomi Plaza like hidden for a while right. uh is that uh the moment holly leaves he's like real mature john good fucking job you did it king um which is an admission of like emotional immaturity that you really don't see in a lot of action heroes ever ever right like uh alan rickman's character here like you know at some point talks about how he's like oh you just you know grew up on too many john wayne and arnold schwarzenegger movies uh he's like kind of prodding him but like i truly think that you know this character john mcclain is like much more emotionally like available to to the audience at least because he's just like oh my god i'm such a fuck up i you know i started this fight with my wife again i'm a complete idiot like he and, and also like he's afraid of being on the plane right um you know he he is constantly getting fucked up through this movie and like he doesn't look cool most of the time he looks like he looks terrible um and by the by the end of this movie he is like you know bleeding from all all places and, and looks like shit but like i just love that they are willing to like make mclean not a huge rambo badass i could not stop thinking about his tank top because you know there's a clause in vin diesel's contract that like he's not or, or you know he's not supposed to like get dirty i don't know if it's contractual sure. but like he never that white tank stop stays fucking pristine i think half of right. fast and furious's budget is just tank tops tank tops yeah <laughs> just to put him in a new one for every cut bruce willis's white tank top is brown by the end yes it's it's so gross it's and like that's disgusting. kind of uh, I, I I love that, right? Like, that's what this movie is just like, yeah, this dude's having the worst day of his life, and you can see it in every detail. And he admits to it, too, like, several times. He's like, ah, damn it, every time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, as, as this is happening, uh, John continues to, like, get himself ready. And then out of dead-ass nowhere, who shows up but handsome 80s Alan Rickman dressed to the nines with a bunch of German thieves and takes the whole 30th floor hostage? Alan Rickman, I, you know, I, you know, probably a lot of people of our generation know him from Harry Potter, right? right. Playing Severus Tape famously. But, like, this, this dude, like... In the 80s, he was handsome as fuck. <laughs> yeah, they put him in one ratty wig for Harry Potter, and, like, now that's what people think of when they think of Al Rickman. Al Rickman's kind of hot. Like, 80s Al Rickman was hot. I actually found Al Rickman in, um, what's that fucking corny-ass Christmas movie that everybody loves to hate? Um, oh, um... The one with 500 actors in it. E- the boombox thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's not Say Anything. No. It's... Love Actually. Love Actually, of course. I'm kind of quite handsome in Love Actually. Let me double sh- make, sh- make sure I'm with Google. Yeah, he's got that like ratty professor vibe with a wet spirit. <laughs> I don't know that. Beautiful. Um, yeah, no, he looks great. And I was just like, holy shit, I cannot believe Alan Rickman looks like this. I also love that they had him do a German accent so that he didn't have to try for the American. <laughs> He he does an American accent at one. He does a Californian <laughs> does accent at one point in this movie, and it's so fucking funny. It's hysterical. Uh, <laughs> he he does a great job. Um, so the thieves show up and they want something inside of the vault. Uh, they specifically um, bonds, I think, in the vault right. at Nagatomi Plaza. Six mm-hmm. six or seven million dollars worth. It, uh, it's like six hundred and forty million, which right. like one very specific number. Two. Not that much money, um, at least for today. I was like, man, yeah. inflation really is fucking shellacked this this country, huh? Yeah. Because that, like, you would be you would be talking about billions of dollars today, like for for it to make a dent, it'd be like, oh, this is this is you know like you know fifty billion dollars. You'd right? be doing it like is, Doctor is Evil more... numbers. 
Right. Like, this is exactly. Like, this is truly, like, one million dollars. Like, that's not that much money, actually. No. So, like, yeah, very, very funny. Yeah. Um. So, uh, th- this is where we get the just... This is where we start getting into, like, the the loose cannon cop versus, like, burned cop versus the cops that are, like, trying to follow protocol and fuck everything up. Trichotomy mm-hmm. that happens in this flick. Um, right. So John now uh, in a tank top and barefoot, he kills one of the thieves. Um, okay. He, and then he gets his machine gun and on his sweater writes, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. And sends the body to the 30th floor, notably. <laughs> yeah, to specifically attract the attention of the rest of the thieves and take a tally of them and write down their names on his arm in Sharpie. It's really good. Like, it is such a weird thing to do, but it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to just, like, memorize all the names of the people. Like, this is an interesting way to get information on your on the bad guys and also, like, write it write it down to be like, okay... I guess this is this is their name because like this is a thing that like for instance in I'm just thinking about Fast and Furious because we watched it recently like there's a million fucking names in Fast and Furious and you kind of have to just assume that everybody knows each other's names and their importance in the world but like there's no way there's no way everybody knows everybody's names in the Fast and Furious um and like it's just kind of nice to to get this admission that like John McClane is a very you know normal guy. He's just like an average dude, um, even though he's doing Rambo shit. Um, like he he is just kind of like I need to know their names. So here we go, um, and and it's great. Yeah. So he uh, you know this is where uh, <laughs> Hans, which is Alan Rickman, uh, starts mm-hmm. to you know he he keeps us cool for like most of the movie, right? Uh, right. And uh, so. While this is all happening, John McClane, like, lowers himself into the elevator shaft and starts, like, climbing to escape and goes through the air vents. Um, He has an RC radio on him now, and so he contacts the police, and the police is like, bitch, this is an emergency line. If you really have an emergency, call 911. And he's like, I don't think you understand. This building is getting shot up. And so they send a cop over there. The cop goes, and obviously the person posing as a security guard is not a security guard. Cop comes over, doesn't see anything, and goes, there's nothing here. I don't understand what anybody's fucking talking about. Until a body of a thief falls onto his windshield. At -hmm. which point he's like, oh shit, oh god. Mm -hmm. There's a body on my car, and also I'm getting shot at. Let's reverse the fuck out of here. Right. Um, This is, uh, of course, Reginald Val Johnson, who you probably, I mean, actually... Fucking, I never watched Family Matters, so I assume why you, none of y'all would know. But he 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 played a cop on Family Matters, um, but like you know that's that's kind of his his probably most famous role for anybody listening, maybe. <laughs> right. Uh. I yeah. I did. I did poke around his IMDb, and he appears in a lot of stuff as himself, which is funny that like this is his most iconic role still. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so uh, when uh, Al summons the rest of the, of the backup, and so now we get the uh, the like, not the chief of police, but he's like the. I, I think it's I think it's the chief of the LAPD. Is it? I, I assume he's a deputy he's, he's chief at least, or something. Okay, sure. He's like the top doc. There's someone above him, but he shows up and he's um does not listen to Al for one fucking second, even though Al is like, <laughs> hey man, I got a guy in the inside giving me all these details, and the guy's like, he could be one of the terrorists. It could be all these things. So he does not trust John. Al trusts <laughs> John. It's, it's a very interesting little tension out there. Right. And then while all that's happening, there's a, a fucking reporter at the TV station that's like, I gotta cover <laughs> this, and forces his way into covering this mess. So now we have this just cacophony of noise outside of Nakatomi Plaza to balance the like delicate tension being built inside of Nakatomi Plaza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Um, I, one bit I kind of want to focus in on is like when this police chief shows up, like this is really where I was like, Oh, I'm not, I, I feel like this is a, a very anti, maybe not anti cop, but anti government film. Anti bureaucracy um, at the very right, least. bureaucracy, one hundred percent, and by proxy, government. Um, at least in my experience. Um, but like, you know, like his, his, it is not he. You know, the the bad guys who are not like actual terrorists are the FBI. They are the the people who are working the like emergency radio. They are um, you know, the people above Al, right? Like his his the chief of police, right? 
because they're all like, oh, no, you don't understand. There's all these procedures. There's this rule book we have to follow. You know, like you're not you're not following the rules. You're not you're, you're you know, you're 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 not understanding how the system works and like the the two you know you know quote unquote best people or not even best right but like people who do the most are you know good in this movie are you know obviously john mcclain but also al and also you know for to for for you know if we're being you know really casting a wide net um argyle or not argyle is his name argyle? I mean, argyle i would say counts he does ram yeah, Argyle, yeah. The yeah limo because into like it's the escape cloud car. It is really just like you know, you know, independent men taking action, you know, by themselves, you know, doing the heroic thing, right? Which like one, you shouldn't like watch action movies and be like, wow, they're really, you know, really hyping up individualism in this action movie. Man, I like, come on, that's what these things are about. Like they're about they're about fucking superheroes, right? Um, but at the same time, like, I, I think it's especially the ways in which it criticizes bureaucracy it make this a very 80s movie to me. Yeah. But that being said, like, I think Die Hard's an interesting case study because, like, it's not it, – it, it isn't as about individualism as some of, like, the more modern things. Because sure. John McClane doesn't – he would not be able to succeed without the help of Al and Argyle and his wife mm-hmm. at the end. Right. That that's a good point, right? Uh, and that that's what makes John, makes John McClane much more interesting to me as a character, I was right? Like say John McClane's not that interesting. No, mm, he's something. Um, but like when when he's just like having these radio conversations with Al, like they're talking about like the ingredients in Twinkies, and like you know he's asking about like how many you know. Um, you know how many kids Al has, and like talking about Al, you know Al's like history, why why he's not on the front lines anymore, and like you know he's being like really emotionally available and like, like vulnerable about you know his situation, which is like kind of nice. It's just kind of like yeah, this is just a dude who is trying to do the right thing, but is also very scared. Which is funny because from a majority of the movie, nobody knows John's name until right. uh, what's his face sells him out. Uh, Ellis. Yeah, which we'll we'll get to. Um, but basically, there's just like you know, once the police chief shows up, the you know the whole LAPD rolls up, and like you know, f- this is LAPD in the '80s, right? Uh, what was Rodney King? <laughs> Hold on, let me just Rodney King, victim of police brutality. Yes, that is kind of the main thing. Um, 1991, right? So this movie comes out three years before the Rodney King event. Um, so like even then, like the LAPD is kind of being portrayed as a bunch of like people with too much money and and are you know not not doing great uh, bureaucratically. Um, but like you know they they roll up with you know their, their big SWAT team rolls up. They have like a fucking armored personnel personnel carrier at one point, and like you know Bruce is like or you know. John is like, hey, you y'all don't attack the building. They're they're extremely prepared for you all, and you know they order this assault anyway. Um, and they have like, I want to say a javelin missile or something wild. They just like obliterate the APC, and like they they don't want to kill the cops, but they do wound them. Well, they don't kill um, the cops that are on foot. They absolutely obliterate right. the guy oh, yeah. in the APC. The, yeah, those people are dead as fuck, but, um, like, they, you know, they're they're just, like, kind of owning them, and it's, like, just showing, like, oh, you know, they're not listening to the guy who's actually there, you know, um, in person doing doing the work, you know, they're they're using their, their bureaucratic, um, you know, playbook to, to try to handle this, and they're, they're, they're fucking it up. Yeah, and to stop um, them, John ties some fucking C4 onto a computer monitor, onto a chair, and throws it down an elevator shaft. So that was why I was like, what is happening here? Because I saw him tie some stuff to the computer. But, like, I don't know anything about explosives. I would assume there needs to be some sort of detonation. That was, well, that was the whole thing, is he had the detonators that Carl, that Hans needed. Okay. And so he used four of those detonators to send that bomb down there. Got you. Okay, yeah. That's a that's a cool scene, though. I love that. It's just like, it takes out the entire 10th floor or some shit. It's awesome. It also takes him by surprise. He's, he's like, looking down the elevator shaft going, oh, shit. And then the fire comes back up at him. Yeah, he's no. He's, like, dodge. <laughs> it's really good. Um, you know, this, this movie's budget was not that big. You know, 25 to 35 million. And, like, I don't know. On Twitter this week, I've seen people, you know, talking about how, like, movie budgets are too big these days. Um, and like that, that makes blockbusters, you know, prone who, who are, you know, would potentially, you know, like if you don't make like a huge amount of money, like it, like can really hurt a studio. Um, it's like, again, I do, I kind of agree with that. I don't know much about movie making, but I, I don't know. It seems like this film did all right without that many special effects. Well, 
this is to me every the, while i was watching this i couldn't help but keep thinking about the fact that it's kind of the spiritual opposite of uh fast and furious while staying within right. the same genre right because right. fast and furious is all about the effects and it's all about precision and the characters knowing exactly what's coming and the characters being able to calculate something like if i hook my car to this crane and swing around and use my my charger as a bludgeon like it'll all work out right like it's there's no sense of there's no sense of like true danger because you're just kind of there for the the spectacle of it all but there is like true danger here and a lot of the quote-unquote action is just tension like really masterful tension building um that takes place and there's there's not actually that much fighting proportionally speaking right right like like in one of the sequences when he's climbing down the elevator shaft there's a bit where like he has to like use the gun strap to like lower himself lower to like get into another like area and like the whole time you're seeing like the the gun and the strap like fray and tear and break and it's just like i was like i know like i know obviously he's gonna end up fine but like even at this moment i was like he's probably gonna get hurt really bad um and like that's kind of i feel like why this this movie does much tension a lot better than maybe like fast does right because like the thing about you know um you know god love vin diesel but like like you said like his he he is wearing a spotless you know wife beater the entire time like he's able to drive his car you know and get it like you know use it to like block big explosions and he's able to throw himself at cranes and like he never takes any like physical damage whereas you know bruce willis is just getting wrecked this entire time and it it shows there's a cost both movies ask the same fundamental question which like most action films do uh which is you know that the main character is probably going to succeed you just don't Mm -hmm. know how um and the way that fast and furious answers it is like how is he gonna break physics to do this uh what what is the most ridiculous and expensive way we can get from point a to point b while die hard makes you ask okay yeah he's probably gonna pull this off but what is the consequence of him pulling it off and how is that going to make it harder for him to continue um when his foot was bleeding i was like holy shit dude I really like that. This is a complete digression, but like, you know, I'm about to wrap up a, a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and like, you know, we've got a big boss battle, uh, you know, here at the end and As like, right. And I want my car- my players to win, right? You know, you never really want to end a campaign with a total party kill. That sucks. Um... But, like, you know, so the tension is, like, as you say, how, you know, how are you going to get there? And how do you make that battle feel meaningful, even though, you know, their their victory is predetermined? And I'm like, that's, that's you know, kind of an incredible way to answer that. It's like, you know, you have to make them pay in some way. And, like, obviously, you know, narrative consequences in tabletop games are, are very different than, you know, watching an actor get the shit beat out of him on screen. But I also don't think it's that different, you know? I think that, like, if you make people feel like they're just getting worked um maybe lean into the lean into the descriptions a little bit but anyway that's a digression um this is the point where ellis gets shot right oh yeah fuck that guy (laughs) yeah he he was kind of a sleazy dude who was hitting on holly despite her clear disinterest and he's like all right let me negotiate with the terrorists i'm i'm a businessman this is what i do and like this is actually genuinely like why why like this is my my opinion or not opinion but like this is what i think of when i think of business majors right this is just like i i cut deals this is what i do hey i've got something it's a little give and take and like at the end of the day i don't know what what you're doing here buddy (laughs) like you're just saying shit and then you got shot i love the the like 80s businessman stereotype um are you are you familiar with the movie ghost uh, I have heard of it, yes. Oh, we should watch Ghost. Uh, there's a Ghost the Musical. It did go on Broadway. Very um, good. And there is a song. So the conceit of Ghost is that um, the main character's sleazy business friend gets his ass killed because the guy who was supposed to take his wallets to get um, like like a code to transfer uh, like a shit ton of money, uh, he ended up killing him. Uh, and so yeah. the ghost is trying to basically, like, help his girlfriend solve his own murder. Uh, and there is a song where the, like, businessman friend character has his, like, I love business song. And it's just so cartoonishly menacing. And, like, that is the exact vibe I get from Ellis. <laughs> and maybe right. I'll put the audio under under this little bit um, just for funsies. But, like, it's... it's 
numbers came Every second the numbers change This is what I live to feel It's the beauty of the deal This is the essence of high finance So many steps when you do this dance This is always such a rush Making millions with one touch It's such a specific stereo like stereotype That is still accurate today, I think I think it should be perpetuated Um... But I think yeah, should bully he should bully more business majors. Yes, uh, 100%. Um, anyway, he gets shot. Um, and, like, there's this bit where Hans is like, okay, so that didn't work to draw him out. I'm going to go and pretend to, you know, be a, a, a guy. This is where he does his Californian accent, and it is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. He's, like, he's doing a—he's a, a, he's a Britishman try, playing a German— trying to do a californian accent and it's the weirdest thing i've ever heard in my life and it's like and like <laughs> that's why <laughs> fuck are you doing up here what were you looking for i managed to get out of there and uh well i was just trying to get up on the roof and see if i could signal for help you know it's just from here why, do, why don't you come in and help oh, oh, oh. Uh, we forget the roof i said forget the roof i got people all over where's the academy award for this performance <laughs> Truly. Um, and, like, that's why um, I think that McLean figures this guy out immediately. And he's like, sure, you can have this gun with no bullets in it. And then when he comes and, like, tries to shoot him, he's like, ah, well, obviously, I'm not going to trust you, dude. Um, and, like, unfortunately, you know, Hans is able to steal the detonators because his, his thugs show up and, you know, uh, chase John, uh, John away to another part of the building. But, like, really good scene just really the, the tension like i knew that scene was coming i knew that he had given him a gun with no bullets because i had like recently heard about it on a podcast but like i was just like ah that's such a fun thing to do there's like a bunch of like fun little weird action scenes that happen in here that's like this is silly but not implausible so yeah i hadn't fun. heard of it uh like i literally all i've known about this movie is that bruce willis is in it and that there is a debate as to whether or not it is a christmas movie uh, and that's all I knew going in. That's it. Right. I, I I was so diehard blind that I thought Nakatomi Plaza, I was con- I was confusing it with the thing from Cyberpunk. To be fair, every everything in, in Cyberpunk is, is either like something with a very stupid name or something with a Japanese name said menacingly. So, so in my defense, I did You're think. You're not wrong. And there's a, there is a tall building in Cyberpunk that has a Japanese name from a corporation. Like, that is that is the conceit right. there. So. Right. Um, so, yeah, at this point, uh, this is where the FBI takes over, right? And they show up smarmy and in suits. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, they're just like, all right, the federal government's taking over. We're going to do this thing. Um, and, like, what they do is they run the the terrorist playbook, which Hans is counting on to break the seventh seal uh, to get into this bank vault. Naruto-ass fucking bank vault. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, and then this is where they play the, <laughs> the hallelujah music uh, as the bank vault opens. No, they play, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful oh, and triumphant. Yes. Okay, yes, no, it's very good. <laughs> um, I hooted like, and hollered. It was very funny. <laughs> it's very silly, and they're just like, woohoo, we got our bo- we got our bonds. And, like, the whole time, uh, Hans has been, like, trying to, you know, m- play them off as, like, ideologically motivated. Like, once the, the FBI people start, like, talking to them, he's like, I need you to release our comrades in these these prisons and bring us helicopters. Uh, and then once he gets off the phone, he's like, I read about those, uh, you know, radicals on the news. <laughs> it's just like very funny um and like the fbi is just like all right we'll send them helicopters but they're gonna be attack helicopters and we're and we're you know we we can live with 25 percent casualties i was like oh good lord <laughs> like this is where i was like where i was like this is an anti-government movie i think yeah for sure for sure for sure for sure for sure and so you know like han starts getting every everybody up on the rooftop and this is where john discovers that they've lined the whole rooftop to fucking blow Mm-hmm. Uh, to get the helicopters and the hostages. And Bruce Willis, in his brown, nasty tank top, gets up on that fucking roof and starts shooting his set- semi-automatic to scare the hostages back under. And then the helicopter starts shooting at him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he has to he has to tie himself to a fire hose and throw himself off the building, which is terrifying. <laughs> I can't even imagine being that cornered. I mean, you know how I feel about heights and planes. Yeah. No. I'll just take like, the bullet. 
Yeah, no, it's like, no, yeah, no, I've died many, many hours ago at this point. Um, but, like, it is it is a very tense scene where, like, the, the, like, fire hose thing, like, comes loose after the explosion. And, like, he just barely is able to, like, swing into, like, a broken window. And, like, at this point, you know, his, his feet have already been, like, cut up and he's been shot. He shatters the broken window with his bleeding foot. Yeah. He's just, like, screaming in agony the whole time. He has to, like, tear up his filthy tank top and use it to, like, bind his wounds. It's awful. It's um, truly. Also, I want to give Holly her flowers real quick because, like, while she's being hostaged, she is the one because they kill her boss Joe right. in like the first right. couple of minutes because he's like, I don't mm-hmm. have the fucking fall code. I don't know what you want from me. So they yeah. kill him, and then Holly uh, gets put in charge de facto, and she goes and approaches Hans, and he's like, Who put you in charge? And she's like, You did, you idiot by killing my boss and now everyone is looking to me and i don't like it as much as you don't and hans honestly is just like respect and so she asks for a sofa for the pregnant lady and is like also we need to piss uh Mm -hmm. and uh it's just really good like she she gets to be like in control of the situation and she's like cool as a cucumber the whole time she rules yeah no I, i love holly in those moments she's obviously like very competent and it's like oh yeah that's why she's the girl boss like she's she's good at her job and she's she's taking control of the situation which is which is very in a cool. fuchsia suit with an 80s perm which is how women should be amen um yeah so anyway at this point you know it, things are coming to a head but basically what that reporter that you mentioned like is like doing a broadcast Scumbag. and like they yeah this dude um he like goes to their house he threatens their housekeeper with deportation um and then he like puts their kids on tv and like they they have like a portable tv at at the plaza so um gruber like sees the kid's face and then like looks over at the like picture on holly's desk and then like sees holly and he's like wait you're john mcclain's wife so um he takes her hostage and like now john you know he's got two bullets left in his gun uh his his machine gun is out of ammo He's just like, all right, what I'm gonna fucking do? And he looks at like the the tape that's like in the mail room that he's like entered. He's like, all right, here we go. Uh, and he like comes down to confront Gruber and like the one remaining dude, uh, because like at this point, like even when the the getaway guy has been like rammed by Argyle, who is just kind of like chilling in the basement the whole time, Argyle like finds him and beats him up, which is really funny. He crashes the car into their escape car, crashes yeah. the limo into their escape car. It rolls. It, it kicks ass um and like um you know so he's like all right you've got my wife you got me he he sets the gun down his his machine gun down and he's like all right but then he's taped the the pistol to his back so he's able to do like a there's like a there's some like cowboy imagery so he does like a quick draw he shoots uh gruber and then he shoots the one other guy um and like carl. as carl yeah um as as hans is falling he like grabs onto the watch that holly got like as a as a present for being so good at her job um and there's like a like a moment where she you know is about to be taken down with him and fall off the edge of the building but you know they she undoes the clasp of the watch you know hans falls to his death um and um john mcclain and and holly mcclain are reunited and and they're they're saved and it's a happy ending uh until the one German guy whose brother he killed a long time ago shows up, and then Al shoots that guy. Al shoots that guy. Uh, also, John and Al have this, like... I mean, like, the, the reunion between Holly and, and John was pretty sweet. Like, they kissed, and sure. the whole time I was standing there, or sitting there thinking, um, can somebody take this man to a hospital? <laughs> you can make out later. Uh, he needs to go. He is bleeding. He, he is, is dirty. He is so wet. Risking just sepsis and all sorts of infection. Like, please get this man home. Uh, but he goes outside, and then he gets this, like, beautiful, emotional first meeting with Al face-to-face. It's, like, big sweeping orchestration, slow, like, I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is this directorial choice? Like, I think, you know, Holly and um, John have decent chemistry, but, like, the chemistry between Al and John, off the charts. Off the charts. This is the true romantic climax of the movie. Um yeah, anyway, it is wild that they interrupt this whole, like, touching scene with the one last German coming in, threatening to shoot everyone, and then, like, Al just shoots him. Um, just a wild way to, to, like, like throw one last twist in. <laughs> like, not sure that was entirely necessary, but whatever. Sure. 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 <laughs> Ties up Al's loose end about shooting a kid. <laughs> um, whatever, sure. Um, 
And then, you know, Argyle, who is still there, takes Holly and John home and they make out. Yeah. It's great. What a beautiful ending. Uh, wish they'd take him to, a f- again, a fucking hospital. <laughs> he needs to go to the hospital so bad. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, I feel like we covered a lot of the main points, but, like, I, I think the main thing that, like, you know, I, I feel about this movie is just, like, yeah, it does feel like a lot of the craft of, of filmmaking, even, like, you know, big stupid action movies like this, like, has been lost in the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Like, you know, so much of this would have been supplemented with CGI at this point, like, and, that, and that's a darn shame, I think. It is. A bitch's love. Pr- I mean, like, I, there's a world in which, like, my favorite thing is using CGI to, like, supp- supplement practicals, but going with, like, a practicals first approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this just ruled. This this was great. I do I do wish that, like, I don't know, we'd do more of this kind of, like, tension building and, and story craft around action flicks. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe something will surprise us that comes out soon. Yeah. Yeah. One day. Just, like... There's a lot of like if you you know look up the stunts of this at this movie did like so many of these stunts are like really th- real real you know stunts that they 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 did in an interesting way like you know there there's like big falls and, and you know explosions and and fun stuff like that but like ah just uh, I wish I wish we'll one day we'll get back. And we there. did make the note that this movie is incredibly horny because again Bruce Willis keeps like losing things and getting wetter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also just like random excuses to show tits N- weirdly not even in like a derogatory way just in kind of like a fun hey look a boob way like there's a lady who right. goes to have like sex with her co-worker and then ends up running out naked it didn't feel like exploitative it just kind of felt silly right um, no and then John does pass by like a poster like a porn poster uh, in like one of the shafts or whatever and mm-hmm. he just like he covers up their breasts with his hand and he goes girls <laughs> it just like moves on. <laughs> very funny <laughs> you know it's it's like a fun horniness that like you know we've talked a lot about how generally there's a lot you know bigger bigger productions are just not that horny anymore which is a shame but yeah again just lamenting the things that that were were sometimes better in in the old days um but now, the most important question I think we have to answer, mm-hmm. is this a Christmas movie? I think it is. Why do you think it is? So, honestly, if it was, because, like, yeah, it just takes place at Christmas, and it's only mentioned a couple times in the beginning. I think what really sealed it for me was that it ends with a Christmas carol, and also the climactic vault opening moment happens to Oh Come, Oh You Faithful. <laughs> and listen, that's pretty good, but I don't know. I feel like there's, you know... There, there are a couple too many uh, horrible deaths that that maybe a Christmas movie does not perhaps need to have. Maybe that's what Christmas is to you, you know? I guess so. I guess it depends on what the meaning of Christmas, Christmas is. Christmas to me is, uh, I think my go-to Christmas movies are the Princess Switch movies, so. Right, those are, you know, A-tier. A-tier. But. S-tier. I would not, if somebody wanted to watch Die Hard at Christmas, I would not say no. Yeah, you know, I, 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 yes, this is something where it's like, if I wanted to mix it up at Christmas, getting tired of Rudolph, you know what? Fuck it. Sure. Fuck it. Die hard. (sighs) Layla, Mm -hmm. for our Mortified Marketing Minute. Great. If we were going to make a big, stupid action movie, what do you think we would make and how would we kind of center it? You know, I feel like the, this movie is pretty centered in one john's relationship with his wife mm-hmm. and two his relationship with al mm-hmm. i feel like that gives it a, a pretty solid emotional core what do you how would what kind of action movie would you like to do and how how would we kind of ground it to make it you know relatable to audiences hmm i think i i want like two tween girls hmm. i want to anchor it in their friendship okay and i just want them to do six stunts and clown on some villains i don't know what the villains would even be but i'm talking like little girls versus grown men in suit like that's what Mm. i i want to see like a magical girl level of these two girls are like besties and they're gonna face the world together and they're fighting a bunch of grown men in suits why i don't know yet maybe Maybe it's maybe you know what maybe they're they're like at the Kentucky Derby maybe they're horse girls because horse girls are incredibly mm. powerful. 
and mm-hmm. the Kentucky true. Derby gets like taken over because there's a lot of money circulating there, and they have to like free with the power of horses the audience. Interesting. I would watch the shit out of this. I'm. Hey, Universal. Let's talk. When you say little girls fighting grown men, mm-hmm. it makes me think of like, okay, that's kind of like Home Alone. Um, so we Slightly could do older. like a, yeah, okay, a little bit older. Um, so let's say, you know, like, let's say, you know, 12, 12 years old, right? 12 fighting, to 14, you know, yeah. Okay, 14. Uh, f- you know, holding down the four in the Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. Um, We're talking big hats. Uh, We're talking right. horses. Mm-hmm. We're talking stunts that have to do with like the levels of a stadium, which I think there's a lot of utility there. You know, I think we could definitely write like I think there is definitely a way to get the horses involved, and like I'm not sure what exactly horse sports there are, but I bet we could do some horse archery, some you know jumping over people and having the horse you know crash into them, uh, you know throwing various poles, uh, you know whacking people. You know, doing horse drive-bys, etc. Um, I think that's definitely plausible, um, and I and I think that yeah, I think that the bond that two girls have with each other and their their horses is is something that you know all, not just America but humanity can relate to. I would agree, Layla. When we're not pitching the best movies this universe has ever seen, <laughs> where can we be found on the internet? Uh, the movie's title would have to be Dirty Derby. Anyway, um, Great. <laughs> you can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, question mark, and Tumblr. Um, I'm just kind of working. Um, oh, I am plotting, plotting and, and scheming and plotting and thinking of, um, uh, so I turned 30 this year, which is pretty cool. I'm kind of excited. Plotting a, a wee bit of an essay that is a retrospective of my 20s um Ooh. i don't know i just i like doing corny shit like that so maybe watch out for that in the next um three or four months um Ooh, i'm, I'm trying exciting. to plan it out like far ahead enough of time because sometimes when i write things like this my first drafts are just like cringe as shit so i'm trying to, to to get it in a place that i like very good cannot wait to see how that turns out mm-hmm. um you'd find me uh on twitter at AaronSXL on tumblr at monster factory fanfic um and on youtube at aa voight um i talk about tabletop rpgs health policy and writing i do another podcast with my friends michael and josh that's at um the at bible boys uh, on twitter but like the bible boys if you search that on on podcasts you'll find us um talk about christian media we are going to at some point watch um but i'm a cheerleader uh so again an interesting dose of what it was like to uh live uh several decades ago uh and it's something (laughs) i love that movie i can't wait to listen to that it'll be it'll be fun it's a good time um but yeah, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. Mm-hmm. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, how do you think we should close out this podcast? yippee ki motherfucker. Amen. We'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.